Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. And we could get some headlines to hear what the Mexican response is to all of this. And I agree with it. At 8.02 Wall Street time, the shock of the president's tweet and then getting to this Friday morning uh, in Washington, which is a good uh, reason to speak with Eric Farnsworth, Council of the Americas and the America Society. uh, And he joins us today with immense experience on the border and the issues. Eric, an open question to begin the discussion. What was your reaction when you saw the presidential tweet? Well, good morning to both of you. Uh, It's great to be with you. Reaction was surprise, a little bit of shock, uh, and some frustration, because uh, truly, in order to address these issues, we have to work together with Mexico, by definition. Uh, And it seems as if the president is uh, now uh, threatening Mexico and saying, unless you do things which, you know, we're demanding, uh, we're really going to make your life a lot more difficult. I'm not sure that's the way to uh, work together with somebody whose cooperation you fundamentally require. Well, Eric, let's talk about what is legal and what isn't legal. Can the president actually do this? We're not sure. Uh, According to some of the advisors, apparently, according to the 1977 legislation, it's a possibility, but this really hasn't been tested. Uh, Meanwhile, people uh, of significance like um, uh, Chuck Grassley in the Senate have said quite clearly this is an overstretch of presidential tariff authority, and and the Senate's going to look at that. Um, But it's taken a lot of people by surprise, and I think this is something that's going to have to be worked out in the coming days. Well, Eric, how does the Senate formalize that pushback if they wanted to? What's the process that takes place? Well, you know, it's really difficult because if the president declares a national emergency, uh, you know, his authority on many issues is uh, really quite profound. And uh, as we've seen actually with tariffs against uh, Mexico already and and Canada, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. which the Senate may have disagreed with, but uh, really wasn't able to do much to reverse. Eric, you were at Princeton for a while, Woodrow Wilson, and as you know, one of the giants of American game theory is Avinash Dixit. And he has just been extraordinary in thinking about how we do strategy. If we go back to his 2008, The Art of Strategy, A Game Theorist's Guide to Success, how do we have success extricating ourselves from the president's original game theory? You know, this is the question that I and many people are asking. Uh, you know, we are going down a path that's uh, requiring, essentially, Mexico at a political level to react negatively. And you've seen AMLO already react uh, yesterday with a letter. Uh, he'll be speaking again today, uh, which has amplified the rhetoric, has said, look, uh, this isn't the way to uh, react to these very difficult social issues. We need to cooperate. Um, and And so, you know, nations have... Uh, their own constituencies. And for a while, they tried to get along. But when it becomes clear that they can't, uh, they fundamentally change their views. And that's what my main concern is. That's my main worry, is that Mexico is going to begin to see its own political interest no longer to cooperate with the United States and to return to the days, frankly, of before NAFTA, when the cooperation was... Um, uh, episodic at best, and, and the relationship was quite cool. I mean, NAFTA in 1994 fundamentally changed that, and it, we, we really threatened to go back to those days where our, you know, one of our closest neighbors is, uh, 
is uh, in a very cool relationship with us, I think that would be an economic and, and frankly, social and, and, and foreign policy disaster. So, Eric, let's talk about that. Let's explore it further. The headline drops yeah. across the Bloomberg that the Mexican president says Mexico will not fall in provocation. We think all conflicts should be solved with dialogue. Maybe he won't get that dialogue. Eric, to your point... The Chinese at the moment, most people assume, are whipping up nationalism through propaganda in state media. Could AMLO do the same thing? Yeah, he absolutely could. And to this point, he has not, which has frankly been a surprise to a lot of people since he was, uh, uh, came into office last July. Uh, but, uh, you know, his own economy uh, continues to struggle. He has his own domestic uh, issues that uh, you've talked about in your program before. And, you know, for political purposes, if, if now you have your largest trading par- partner, your, your northern neighbor, right. Uh, doing things that uh, intentionally make your life more difficult, at some point you're going to kick back. And I think that's uh, probably where we're heading uh, right now. But, uh, you know, there is a long-standing strain of nationalism in Mexican politics. Again, we've tried to uh, put that uh, uh, underneath the surface for a long time uh, on a bipartisan basis. That effort has largely succeeded. Uh, But once you scratch that surface, uh, you don't have to go down too far before the Mexican people, who are very proud and very, uh, you know, appropriately so, begin to think, well, wait a minute, uh, why are we doing this with the U.S.? I I I think that's well said, uh, Eric, and and that brings up the idea that maybe we're more familiar with the trade culture tensions of Beijing and Washington than we are with Mexico City. Tell us what kind of advice the leader of Mexico will receive in the next 24 hours. He has constituencies that he has to speak to. What kind of counsel will, 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 will AMLO get? Right now, he's uh, assuredly receiving conflicting advice, and that's part of the problem. Uh, Several of his advisors, no doubt, are telling him, look, uh, this is a negotiating position from President Trump. He's putting it out there. Uh, He's suggesting very aggressively, uh, but uh, nonetheless uh, negotiating uh, to try to get Mexico to to do certain things. Let's talk to him. Let's see if we can come to an amicable resolution. And then there are going to be others, uh, no doubt, who are telling him, look what he's been doing with China. Uh, Look at some of the ways that uh, the U.S. president has been negotiating. No matter what we give up, uh, it's never going to be enough. We're going to have to stand up for our own rights. That battle right now, no doubt, is playing out uh, in Mexico City. Eric Farnsworth, great to catch up with you. Really, really thoughtful stuff, and we appreciate your time. On the phone, Laura Rosner joining us now, macro policy perspective, senior economist. Laura, always great to get your insight, your view on inflation in America. Hi, great to hear from you. So, look, I think that part of this decline in core PC inflation is probably transitory. There are some pieces that uh, have led the index lower and will likely reverse. In addition, you know, increased tariffs are likely to boost prices over the next six to 12 months. Uh, those will be one-off level effects, so we should see uh, a boost. But uh, we think the underlying trend in inflation is still very muted, and uh, the, the factors that are contributing to that are not going away. They're technology, demographics, so really a mixed bag here. So, Laura, if it's not transitory in the way that Chairman Powell thinks it is, and even Vice Chair Clarendon mentioned it might be in yesterday's conversation at the Economic Club in New York, here in New York. When does the wake-up call 
for the Federal Reserve come, Laura? Well, I said some of it is likely transitory. Some of it is not. But, you know, inflation over the next six to 12 months will be reverting back to 2%, uh, both as some of the transitory factors and tariffs start to to add to it. And I think the Fed is, seems inclined to let that happen. I don't think they're going to push against that. They've been below their target for many years, and they're going to opportunistically allow some reflation. And off of this economic data, particularly the revisions that we see in the inflation data, yields a little bit higher than they were with the Great Compression of 20 minutes ago. Futures negative 34, now negative 30, so a little improvement in the tape as well. Laurie, you have been fabulous at macro policy perspectives of, of looking for what I'm going to call lower economic growth. Just you haven't, I haven't seen you people write about the, you know, it's going to be pretty good, solid economic growth. How do we get back to solid economic growth? Well, I think you take the tariffs off the table. I don't think that's ha- that's helping. And this uncertainty right now is really a risk, right? We're, we're in an environment of prolonged uncertainty where the rules of the game right. on trade are changing. So what happens and- with the announcement last night to confidence? I mean, John Williams, 10 days ago with Bloomberg, that's what he started with, was business confidence. Does the actions of last night and what we're going to see through this Friday, does it shatter further business confidence? I think it certainly is a risk. We've already seen some of the PMIs, uh, you know, moderate. Um, They're reacting to slower global growth and the risk of tariffs. I think on the consumer side, we started the year on a pretty strong footing, and the labor market has remained very strong. The domestic service sector is not is more insulated from the tariffs and is enjoying a very positive feedback loop between hiring and consumer spending. So, you know, we're starting this on a very strong footing for the, the services side. The question is how much the business and the tariffs really spill over and potentially, you know, weaken the labor market and hiring. That's really what we're looking for. Our base case is a soft landing in the economy. We don't have a rate cut priced into our forecast, even though the market is looking for one. But that will really depend on what happens with tariffs and how businesses respond. So, Laura, let's talk about that, because Neil Kashkari, the president of Minneapolis Fed, talking to Bloomberg TV very briefly and saying that essentially we've seen more rhetoric than action on the trade story so far. Would you agree with that, Laura? I mean, it's hard to say that when overnight we see uh, another 5% tariff levied. And just in the last month, you know, the 10% on $200 of Chinese imports were raised to $350 billion. So I I don't think I would agree with that. I think things are escalating. Um, and we don't know, as of right now, how businesses are going to respond to these new tariffs. Right. I'd say to date, they have uh, relied on things other than price increases to mitigate the effects of the tariffs, and they have been somewhat yeah. successful. But it's unclear if they well, can continue to do so. Laura, I got eight more questions. You got to you, we got we got to get you on again soon. Laura Rossner, macro policy perspectives uh, there on some of the dynamics of this economy. This is the essay of the morning. It is from Henrietta Tres at VEDA, V-E-D-A. She is with VEDA Partners. 
And it is extraordinary how someone with her grizzled perspective of Washington and trade realities can piece together a research note out of the carnage. You can get it from Veda Partners in Washington. Henrietta, you have a chart which shows that beer imports from Mexico are a lot smaller than we perceive. The technology component, the sophistication component, cars, vehicle parts, delivery trucks, tractors, is a big hunk of it, and it all goes back to the new world just in time. Explain just in time this morning to our listeners and to the President of the United States. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Tom, and for that very generous intro. Just in time is such a big deal, and I think it gets overlooked by you know the average bear in America, but certainly is something that the manufacturing corporations, whether it's autos or computers, as you mentioned, are inextricably linked to this and can't work without it. Um, just in time is effectively the most efficient strategy to have a supply chain that involves Canada, Mexico, the United States, and is one of the main reasons that since we passed NAFTA, we've created 35 million jobs in America. And it is a huge driver in um, making sure that corporations can have all the little widgets that go into their products. And as a result, they have inventories that are less than three days worth of what their factories can produce. So there are constantly right. cargoes going back and forth. Henrietta, we all have our myth structures of any given topic, China, Mexico, the Boston Red Sox, whatever. And I would suggest like, for example, South America, some clowns like me are locked back in Butch Cassidy and Bolivia and Catherine Ross in a movie in 1969. What's the biggest myth about Mexico that I and my listeners get wrong? What's the thing that drives you nuts about our antiquated view? I think the piece that's missing is that we've moved from a manufacturing economy to a services economy. And those service economy jobs are the ones that create the next new awesome thing in your car and create the next new fantastic piece of your computer that allows you to be you know, safer, more efficient, um, do what you need to do more quickly. And the manufacturing yeah. jobs that we don't necessarily want and certainly aren't really trained for anymore are mostly in Mexico and other countries uh, outside of the United States. And so it seems like a zero-sum game, when in reality, everybody has benefited substantially from that free trade. You've got this wonderful chart, the Observatory of Economic Complexity. Computers, telephones, video displays, insulated wire leads the way. The tariff increase, I'm going to assume on those industries, is nonlinear. 5%, okay, fine. It's, it's a rounding error. Then it's not, isn't it? Right. Exactly. And uh, so it escalates to 10%, 15%, 20%, 25%. Speaking with the auto manufacturers last night, they were up in arms saying, what the heck is going on? Because that is a devastating blow. Uh, as anybody who's ever gone into a dealership to buy a car knows, the sticker price is not very margin heavy. Uh, you, you, you can't really uh, lower the price much more than the dealerships already are. So for an auto industry um, situation where a, even a 5% tariff increase is a big deal for them. Um, and I think for the manufacturers, they're extraordinarily concerned because this is just immediately increases the cost of their imports. And the effective date is June 10th. So that's just right down the road. There's no maneuvering to shift your supply chain in 10 days. That's not an option. Delivery trucks, 
I mean, let's go to something, uh, you know, let's get back to beer. Okay, beer is a on, a, on a big rectangle, folks, beer makes up one-fiftieth of the space. Henrietta's type is so small, I can't read it. But the answer is, Corona beer, I guess, is imported in. Are you telling me Corona beer is a just-in-time process? Well, the, the ships, the, the, sorry, the cargo ships go back and forth. Um, the, the truckers go back and forth every single day. Um, and as we saw maybe a month ago when they, when President Trump ordered sort of a pretty intense clampdown at the border, one of the most immediate impacts was on those day-to-day shipments that mm-hmm. were coming across, including on Corona, on Negromodelo, Tecate, all that fun stuff. Um, they are getting stuck at the border with 13-hour lines that make it impossible for a driver to even make the trip that they're planning right. to go on. And we saw back then they started shipping stuff over air cargo, which immediately increases the cost of your shipping right. by anywhere between 40000 and $100,000. So unless you want to pay more for that corona, you do not want to support this tariff. Henrietta Trace with his VEDA Partners, V-E-D-A, VEDA Partners, Washington, without question the granularity of this arch moment in Mexico. We heard from the president of Mexico earlier with what I'm going to call appropriate headlines. Matt Iglesias and Vox was great about the scope, scale, and size. David Fickling at Bloomberg Opinion, the scope, scale, and size of Mexico versus China. Henrietta, how ginormous is this border relationship for business and trade with Mexico? I mean, it's $350 billion worth of flow just from the U.S. to Mexico. Um, Sorry, from Mexico to the United States. Overall, I want to say it's something like $1.2 trillion worth of trade every year. It's extraordinary. It's the third largest trading partner that we have. Um, And, you know, one of the interesting components and problematic would be if they respond, if Mexico responded and put tariffs on all, all our goods, as we've seen historically, they target trade is political. So they target the red states since we have a Republican president. So this is an immediate tariff on pork, on apples, on wheat. Um, The corn industry was spared last time around, but they could easily be hit again. And I don't know if you've talked to any farmers lately, but they are getting slammed across the Midwest, not just with tariffs, but with the weather. The weather as well, uh, yeah. You know, the the substantial negatives uh, associated with this. is. What's it do to avocados? You know, and we live off our avocado toast and all that. I mean, that's granular. Am I gonna, is Paul Sweet now? We're gonna walk into whole paycheck. We're gonna walk into whole paycheck, and the avocados are gonna go up tomorrow or June 11th. It, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they certainly should. And one of the things that we know is that the Customs and Border Patrol um, can update these tariff ratios in 12 hours or <clears throat> yeah. less. So if you're going to Whole Foods, I recommend <laughs> stocking up right now. Um, oh and man, send me some. <laughs> uh, Henrietta Trace, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Just spectacular granularity i still can't say usmca paul sweeney what do you say you i just say new nafta (laughs) (laughs) new nafta i like that trade update new nafta in mexico henrietta trades with veda partners as well how's the new uber doing Uh, uh david kirkpatrick was just genius this morning yeah, you know, they didn't give uh, the market any reason to do anything different, which is they said, we're on our track, we have a big opportunity, but we're going to spend money to get there. So uh, the numbers were right in line, but they didn't give anybody a sense of, okay, we're going to make profits this year or next year or the year after. So there's still that uncertainty out there, but uh, they no negative surprises was what I was they concerned about. They got through it, just like you predicted yesterday, yep. that that yep. would be just the get goal through it. to get through So the stock's, you know, kind of sta- stable here. Okay. That's Henrietta Trace, thank you so much. Just fabulous. 
let us stagger back to the markets. You know, we're getting an opening. Why should I quote it now? Who knows where we'll be other than I've got great respect, Paul, for a two-year 1.9983 right now. Paul? Yeah, falling below 2%, just extraordinary here. And uh, S&P down 30 points roughly here. Let's bring in Lori Calvacina. Lori is a head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. She joins us on the phone. So, Lori, thanks so much for being with us. How are you viewing this 6% plus pullback we've seen in U.S. equity markets uh, over the last several weeks. Is this uh, the beginning of something or is this a buying opportunity? So my, my guess is that we're about halfway through with what we ultimately expect to be about a 10% pullback. Um, you know, we, we came into the summer thinking that we were, we were due for a correction, that we were a bit overdue for a pullback. Um, when we looked at our valuation model, we were right back to where we were in December 2017 and September 2018. When we looked at the CFTC futures positioning data, we were getting pretty close to where we were last January and last September. You know, we, we, we've made that view before we got any of the news on China before we got any of this news on Mexico. I think that what we are going through right now, we, we are having these very surprising catalysts um, that are kind of coming out from left field, spooking investors. But the reality is that conditions have been very ripe for a pullback, um, a, a little bit worse than what we've seen so far. So again, just kind of following up, because it seems like, you know, if you talk to most investors, they would probably ascribe a lot of this move down uh, as trade being the catalyst. But you think it's just more of a, the market conditions, the market dynamics, maybe just kind of, and then the trade threw a little bit of gasoline on it? Exactly. I think, you know, I think that, that, that trade is the match. I think the crowding and the valuation problems that we had were the kerosene. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's, I like the metaphor. She sounds like a strategist. <laughs> exactly. uh, Lori, you know, I, I don't mean to make jokes about it because we're all going to figure out what to do with our courage in the equity markets uh, over the weekend if we survive Friday as well. Negative 277 right now in the Dow, 24,893. A correction is, Ms. Calvacini alluded to, is... I'm going to call it Dow 24,000, uh, roughly. Don't quote me on that. Lori, to your point of light commodities, the Bloomberg Commodity Index, the inflation-adjusted commodity indices, inflation-adjusted copper, and on and on are grim. Does that tell me that I, I've just got to seek shelter in the United States away from commod the commodity world? I mean, you know, in terms of seeking shelter in the U.S., it, it's even as a U.S. equity strategist, um, it, it's hard for me to tell people to pile back into the U.S., frankly, because I think everyone's already there. Um, if you look at... So where do I go? Okay, where do I... It's Friday. Come on. Where do I go? <laughs> well, people people have been going to bonds more than cash. Um, oh, come I on. Think... Come on. Look at the yields. <laughs> I have an equity strategist telling me to buy a 1.99% two-year? No, well, what I'm going to tell you to buy, actually, is I'm going to t tell you to buy some utility stocks today. I'm also going to tell you to buy some consumer staple stocks, and I'm going to tell you to buy the long-suffering financials. And, and the reason why is you've got uh, relative immunity from these trade war fears. I don't think any part of the market is completely immune, um, but I, I do think they are more insulated than most. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, I w I'm not going to sit here and tell you I think the utilities are cheap, but they're only a little bit expensive. They're well below okay. past peak relative to the market. They have been working over the last month. People are starting to notice the ETF money is piling yeah. in. You can play them for a while longer. Okay, uh, Paul Sweet, I'm only doing this because Jim Glassman uh, gave us great perspective this morning. I'm enjoying a 2.17% tenure <laughs> and the world of Calvacina, and I know she doesn't talk individual stocks, Fortress Diamond is launched at 3.03%. 
dividend with a five-year 14% dividend growth. Yep. Have it. <laughs> if it's a 7% dividend growth, the rule of 72 tells you 10 years out, you got yourself a locked in 7% cash on cash yep. yield. Yep. Yeah, where do you, you, you <clears throat> compare that to your two-year under 2%, what do you do? So, Lori, the, the issue, I guess one of the questions is, you know, where you're looking for, you suggested earlier, uh, you know, overall a 10% pullback. When we kind of get there, is that where you feel like the market has some stability there, uh, irregardless, I guess, of what's happening on the kind of the, the tweet front? I, you know, you know, we, we do think that, that it will. If it doesn't, I think you have to look at what the price action is telling you. If 10% doesn't hold, and that would be about 26.50 from the April highs, then I think that the risk is the market is going to be you yeah. know, in recession mode again. So you'll do something like you did back in December. Now, I am not there yet. I think we have cushion in the economic data. Frankly, I'm more worried about the 2020 economy than I am the 2019 economy. But yeah. you know, I do I do think by the time we get there, we'll probably by the time we get to that 10%, the valuations will look better. Um, the, the positioning won't be quite as crowded. And also, I think once we get to reporting season in July and August, earnings right. expectations will be reset. And even if they move lower, once you have that reset, people will, will, will okay. have really priced in the bad news and you can move okay. on. Lori, thank you. Lori Calvacino with us, RBC Capital Markets. All the choices to be made given the news flow. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.